0: Welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. Today, I'm speaking to Francis Mayebe and Varusha Subban, partner and head of tax at Baker McKenzie. And Francis is a candidate attorney at Baker McKenzie in Johannesburg. And we're looking at the power of SARS to search and seize your property without a warrant. And we want to look at what the law actually says about this. There are a couple of more incidents happening. And let's unpack that in more detail. We'll, We'll also chat about a particular case that highlighted this issue and what businesses and individuals, should know about the power of the receiver to search and seize your property. Um, Verusha, we can start with you. And, and if you could, could tell us a, a bit more about the case law and this framework around the right to search a, a premises not identified in a warrant and its potential to be in conflict with the constitutional right to privacy in South Africa.
1: Morning, Evan, and thanks for having us on your podcast. Uh, Certainly is a very important case, uh, which we feel most privileged to be able to talk about. So the case is that of Benchin and another versus SARS Customs Investigations Unit. And it essentially hinges on this fundamental aspect of what is a constitutional democracy? And the case talks about uh, and goes through this underlying legislation, which is the Tax Administration Act. And this act actually allows us to search premises that are not identified in a warrant. Now, this issue has been under scrutiny for a number of years by a number of courts. And of course, because it has a potential to actually infringe on South Africans' right to privacy as enshrined in our constitution. So... SARS, uh, using this instrument called the Tax Administration Act, is is actually able to uh, search premises without necessarily a clearly defined warrant. And this plays quite an essential role to ensure that taxes are collected in in, an effective and efficient manner. So in order to do this and to ensure fiscal security, this piece of legislation, the Tax Administration Act, allows SARS to conduct warrantless searches and seizures of taxpayers' properties. Now, this is a white power and it's granted to SARS But it does clash with uh, a taxpayer's constitutional right to privacy. And as we all know, this is contained in our amazing Bill of Rights, which we find in Chapter 2 of the Constitution. And so the question remains now, you know, what do we do here? We've got a potential infringement of one's constitutional rights. But can that be justifiable under a limitation clause, which is also contained within the Constitution? And that's essentially what this case is about.
0: Yeah, that collision of rights. I think that's a, that's very well put, and certainly something that um, that we it needs to be delved into. And maybe if we can bring Francis in, I know Francis, you've been doing a lot of research on this. Maybe give us a little bit of um, actual background on the case and some of the facts that are pertinent.
2: Ivan, uh, thank you so much for having us um, on this podcast today. Um, basically, this case has very interesting facts, and the, the facts in the in case were basically that SARS was, um, was issued a warrant in terms of Section 59 and 60 of the Tax Administration Act, which authorised SARS to seize information and documentation concerning a particular case that they were involved in uh, with a particular taxpayer, um, which surprisingly is not subject to this case. So... Upon arrival to the taxpayers' premises, um, there was a little bit of a delay in SARS getting access to the premises, particularly in in SARS' opinion or in SARS' facts, SARS argued that when they got to the premises, they were not granted access by the taxpayer. So as they were waiting outside of the premises, SARS was able to observe from the taxpayers' premises certain, certain documents. Computers and all other uh, certain information that they might they might have needed um, to form part of this of, of, of the search and, uh, and seizure, or part of the warrant, was being was being taken out of the of the premises of the taxpayer onto the vehicles that are parked in the parking lot. So eventually, after some hours, SARS was then granted the, um, granted access to the taxpayer's premises. But then, at that point in time, there was a little bit of a dispute in the fact that. They had this the warrant to search the taxpayers' property, but then upon their observation, some of the property was getting taken out of the taxpayers, um taxpayers' premises onto the car park. So therefore, um SARS had an encounter with a third party, which is Mr. Bitchin, who by chance was in the premises of the taxpayer conducting his own business with the taxpayer and he had his car also parked in the parking lot. So then SARS went beyond the original um, stipulation of the search warrant that they had and they went on to search Mr. Beechin's uh, vehicle as well. There was a little bit of commotion in the searching of the vehicle. Um, in essence, that Mr. Bichon, first of all, refused to, to be searched. Um, but then with the, with the help of the SAPS, the, uh, the, pol- the police, and the walk, South was now able to, to access the vehicle of Mr. Beechin, although it did not form part of the warrant um, and search and seize uh, particular uh, particular properties such as laptops and cell phones that were found in Mr. Beechin's um, vehicle.
0: Certainly, an interesting mix of facts and developments there. Um, certainly, very interesting uh, development and um, and actually how it unfolded. Uh, and, Varusha, maybe if you can come in there and just tell us a little bit more about the critical issues that then arose.
1: Yes, uh, the critical issue really came about when Mr. Bechin, who's the applicant in this uh, court case, went off to court and applied to the court by instituting a mandament fund spoli, which is an application for the court to actually direct SARS to return certain items uh, that SARS had taken from the the applicant himself. Now, for this application to succeed, two legal questions need to be answered. Firstly, was there disturbed possession of the uh, applicant's property? And secondly, was the search and seizure of the applicant's vehicle by SARS, which fell outside the scope of the granted warrant, unlawful? Mm -hmm. Now, in dealing with this issue, the court uh, looked at and relied on the principles that arose in another constitutional court uh, judgment of Anale Kumba versus the Minister of Safety and Security. And in this case, the constitutional court held that the whole essence of this kind of mandamus-panspoli application is restoration before all else of unlawfully deprived possession. So, essentially, for this application for Amanda Funds fanspoli to succeed, it means that the court has to prevent the taking of possession unless it is in accordance with the law. So, you know, not to bore you with too much of the Latin, but mm. in essence, this is, what, this is the crux of this case. Was there disturbed possession? And if so,
2: was the possession by SARS unlawful?
0: Well, Francis, what did the court then decide?
2: Now, interestingly, um, on the undisturbed possession, as Verusha uh, correctly pointed out, there was no dispute of facts with respect, that, uh, with respect to the possession of the property. It was pretty clear that SARS had taken over the property, which yeah. is the first element that you need to prove um, when you have a, a claim on the mandaman vas- van swoli, as Verusha described it very well. Um, so on the first aspect of the mandaman vas- van swoli, there was definitely... Um, a possession of the of Mr. Beach's property by SARS, but then the big question came in with the with, the, with respect to the uh, to the fact that was the the, the disposition of the property um, and a disturbed one did uh, Mr. Beach and voluntarily um, surrender or did he voluntarily hand over um, the the property to SARS? And the court in this in this aspect sound, um decided that um, based on the facts and the facts presented by both parties, it was pretty clear that um, Mr. Beecham did not voluntarily hand over the property to SARS. Um, therefore, the the a it is still possession understood. of the property yeah. by SARS. So the first element was met in that in, in that aspect. And then on the second element, which Verisha is going to uh, briefly speak to, um the basically the court found that SARS was was, was in the particular facts um, within its right. Um, to search and see some of the property that Mr. Beechin had, based on what they'd observed from the pre- from outside of the premises before they could access within the premises. So, Varusha is going to touch a little bit on that.
0: Yeah, I think Varusha, that's that's, um, that's really great uh, background there, Francis. And then Varusha, I mean, you mentioned the Tax Administration Act, right? Um, and it has certain um, provisions relating to searching. Of premises um, but what did it say how did it apply in, in this matter
1: so going back to this uh, section 62 which is the main section that we're dealing with here this section within the tax administration act empowers sars to enter and search premises even though those premises are not identified in the warrant but subject to certain qualifications so and there are three of them the one is the property that's in the warrant must be at premises that are not identified in the warrant, and they may be removed or destroyed. And secondly, the warrant cannot be obtained in time, so any delay, uh, you know, will prevent the removal or destruction of the, of the relevant material, and this delay will defeat the object of the search and seizure, very similar to the provisions that we have in our Criminal Procedure Act. So, the court found that SARS was actually entitled in executing this warrant to satisfy itself as to whether Mr. Bertrand had in his possession or under his control any of the taxpayers' materials that were specified in the warrant. And this view that the court took is, we think, likely motivated by the fact that SARS earlier, as Francis pointed out, observed materials that Mm. were being carried from the building to these vehicles that were in the parking lot of the premises. And so, you know, with respect to the uh, argument that Mr. Bechian raised that the warrant had to be confined only to the actual premises of the taxpayer uh, to the exclusion of the parking lot. Now, the court looked at this and dismissed this by saying that the warrant referred to the address of the actual uh, taxpayer's premises and that this would also include the parking lot. And, um, you know, if the court had to follow the interpretation argued by the taxpayer. This would undermine the efficacy of the warrant. So, to conclude, the court basically dismissed the application, and unfortunately, ordered the applicant, Mr. Betchen, to pay the costs jointly and severally.
0: Now, I wouldn't say that it's uh, the filing is necessarily chilling for the corporate sector, and that they all need to worry, be worried about, you know, sars, um, you know, searching and seizing. Material outside even of, the, of of the office, but Francis, maybe if you can give us your thoughts on uh, on why this is important this this particular finding oh,
2: thanks even um the importance of this finding um, is entrenched in the fact that although SARS has the right to search and seize property without a warrant, that right is subject to more stringent requirements than um and the right that they have within the provisions of Section 59 and 60 of the Tax Administration Act. So, in this view, that SARS may search and seize property without a warrant. But we need to understand that in this particular case, the facts of this case were particular in the sense that they were out of the ordinary or out of the norm yeah. in which SARS would will be will be able to search and seize our property without a warrant. So. There are a few unanswered questions with respect to the, to the true scope of the ability of SARS to invest, to, to, to search and seize, particularly without a warrant, and if SARS-collected evidence could extend beyond the object and the purpose of the original warrant. However, it is important for taxpayers to note that it is not always the case that SARS officials would need to furnish themselves with a warrant, particularly if they observe certain activities which fall, which fall beyond um, the norm and activities that give them that reasonable belief that if they do not execute section seizure at that moment in time, obtaining a warrant would be mostly um, an, a needless adventure that they would need to go about. So it is important to note that although SARS in most cases need a, a warrant to search and seize property from a taxpayer but should they observe and should they observe like particularly in the same way as the criminal procedure procedure act lays it out should they have that reasonable belief that should they not search and seize the property immediately going to obtain a warrant would be a needless exercise for them mm-hmm. because the taxpayer would um, have an opportunity to dispose of that particular property so there is still some a little bit of scope um, to testing this actual uh, fundamental principle in section 62 of the constitution but an important aspect that the court also touched on was the fact that section 62 of the Tax administration act will be sufficient to meet the scrutiny of the limitation clause in section 36 of the constitution which basically stipulates that any particular rights contained in the, bill of, in the bill of rights could be limited should they li- should they meet the requirements of the limitation clause under section 36 of the constitution. So what we have at the moment is that section 62 of the tax administration act is within the, the confines of the constitution and SARS is well within its rights to exercise its powers within the ambit of those provisions in the act, but those powers a little bit more difficult um, than they would normally um, exercise them within the confines of section 59 um, and 60 of the Tax Administration Act, which allows them to search and seize um, property after obtaining a warrant.
0: We've certainly got a corruption emergency in South Africa. So, you know, I think uh, looking at this, um, it, it does tie in with the need to take action, you know, based on the circumstances. And, um, and and I think that's great. And so thanks very much both for, you know, the salient input um, and, and unpacking this in detail and making it uh, more clear for everyone out there that, that may be faced with this particular situation. So thanks very much. Great chatting to you. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Evan.